0: December last year, I've retired from Calvary Chapel, and there's something you've heard, is called Bridges Beyond. We're, I think, almost finished completing a registration of a not-for-profit. And we leave that with the Lord, and right now we have about 35% of the money committed for that work, and we need 65%. 35, 65, I said it wrong on the first service. Rob said I was shooting far too high. Uh, so you just pray and whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do, that'd be great as we as we do that. So I'm going to share a couple of pictures and, and tell you this, some stories, but it's connected to the message and everything's connected. It's, this is not separate from the message. This is core to the message. And I want you to understand that. Um, when We're going to start in Genesis 1.1. 1, 1 be a long sermon. (laughs) When God created people, He created us because He wanted to be with us. He wanted to walk with us and be with us and be together. Uh, That's why we have the picture in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve walking and being together. And then sin entered the world and that all fell apart. And after that, everybody's been kind of wondering, how do we do life? What are we here for? What's it all about? And how do we function? And then through all that has come this thing called church, and and a lot of people come to church and come to life with ideas of how to do life and what to do, and we all quote different people and sources for how we do, what we do, and and why we do it. We're trying to find meaning in life, purpose and vision, and and one of the songs that we sang was that we were created for your pleasure uh, to walk with the Lord. That was was the reason we've been created, for His purposes. And he wants to be with us, and he wants to be in us. And when Christ came, it blew all the fuses for everybody, as it continues to do. But what happens is that our thinking is wonky in a lot of ways, and and we want to talk about these things. Now, as we get into this teaching this morning, after about 10-15 minutes, or even starting already, you're kind of wondering, what's he getting at? What's he talking about? And I feel that too. Right now I feel that inside of me already. That Okay, what's the point? But the good news is that it's going to come together, okay? So just hang with me a bit, and it's going to come together. And what I want you to experience a bit of that. What's this about? Because in the teaching, the disciples experienced that with Jesus. They said, we don't get you. What's this really about? So if you feel that, that's good. That's a bonus, and, and we're with it. Um, I became a Christian when I was six years old. Didn't know what it meant for most of my life. And... Um, for most of my life I was a real jerk. And uh, our son Tim is here with us and he can attest to you that, yeah, that's true. That, that That's my dad. And Lynn can attest to that. And so even though I was a Christian at age six, most of my life I was this jerk because you're trying to live life or do life and it doesn't work. And it didn't work for me and it didn't work for us. Um, things have changed by God's grace. And I started to understand that it's about loving people and praying for people. Loving God, loving people and praying for people. And it began with my family. And uh, I learned that from my grandma who used to be a very hard, harsh woman. She became soft and mellow and I said, what happened? She says, God told me my job is to love and pray, not manipulate and try and fix people. And so... Christ said we are supposed to make disciples, and this assignment of making disciples is a one-on-one thing. And a few years ago, Jean-Paul Sedeza walked in here, and he was from Rwanda, and as he walked in, and I connected with him one-on-one, and we started discipling him, and talking to him. And John paul I recognized him as a really legalistic, egotistical, arrogant, proud jerk. Uh, He was the fashion police in the church in Rwanda, and I knew him, the instant I met him and I heard about him, I knew him completely because that was me. Uh, And I understood where he was coming from because I've come from there for a long time. And so in the process of discipling him here and meeting with him and growing with him, he changed. And he went back to Rwanda and he was completely different. And he says, we want to meet the person who discipled you. And so Lynn and I went to Rwanda. And as we went out you guys prayed for us, and you says, God, I think Rob said, the message we're sending is Dave and Lynn. The, the, it's in them, but it is them. They are the message. All these pictures will come together at the end of the sermon, and they'll start to make sense when you think back to them. For me, it makes a lot of sense now, but I'm just going to proceed as I go along, because you don't know yet the ending from the beginning. So Jean-Paul was here with us, he he began to change, and, and he realized he had to go back to Rwanda and own up to who he, who he was, And when he went back, he says, you're just a completely different person from who you were before. You love us, you care for us, you're gracious, you're kind, what happened? And uh, so he, he tells them about things that he learned. And when he was here with us in our basement, he says, Dave, this stuff is so amazing. We need to bring, this. you need to bring this to Rwanda. Everybody in Rwanda needs to hear this. Everybody in my church needs to hear this. And I says, okay. And so as we went to Rwanda, he says, Dave, what's your plan? I says, you, you are my plan. He says, you're kidding me. I says, no, that's the plan. Uh, One, making one disciple, that's the plan. So when we're here in Canada and we do different things, I teach and preach, do different things, the truth is the substance of who we are, what Lynn and I do and who we are, is we meet one-on-one with people. We have coffee and ask, how are you doing? How's life? How's things? So I meet with Rob and I meet with different people. And they do the same. And, and we catch that. The, the secret is on the one. And so for for many years as I've talked with John Paul, I keep asking him, John Paul, do you have a disciple? Do you have somebody? He says, oh yeah, i got lots of disciples. I, I says, what do you mean? He says, i got like ten that are my disciples. I says, John Paul, you haven't got anybody. If you say you've got ten, the truth is you haven't got anybody. It's not done in a group of ten. Jesus did it with twelve, but he did it one on one. Then another time he says, oh, I got like 50 guys, they're all committed, they're with me. I says, you've got nobody. So you've got to have one, one disciple, that's what you've got to have. And then you might have another, and you might have another. How do you grow a big family, one at a time? Sometimes twins, but usually one at a time. And Jesus' family is made one at a time. And he put his spirit into us, and he trained us, and he wants us to help each other to grow and mature in this. So, to make a long story longer, there we were in Rwanda... And this is a, a bridge. It's in the UNESCO uh, World Site in the rainforest in Rwanda, and we're walking across a bridge that was built by the American Canadians and designed by the Americans. Anybody been on the bridge? Tony, were you on the bridge? Yes, yes. In the forest. Yeah. Okay. Then you do this. <laughs> He's a school teacher. I think you'd get that. <laughs> uh, the thing you don't know about Jean-Paul is that he's afraid of heights. You see, and here we're walking across the tops of the trees in this rainforest, uh, and he's afraid of heights. So he said to me before we went, he says, Dave, I want to do this thing. I want to cross this bridge, but I'm afraid of heights. So can you go before me and keep encouraging me and telling me to come because I want to come. I got I got to be with you. And behind him is Rob uh, Barron and Rob, uh, pardon me, Ron McLean, are behind him. And he said to them, he says, I want you to be behind me. And when I want to turn around, and go back. Don't let me turn around because I want to do this. Okay. So I'm committed to doing it. And so there he was as we were going to go on the bridge. His knees were shaking and he's scared and he's hanging onto the sides and oh, he was so scared. But he did it, and there's a picture there of this business of making disciples. What God said to me: You need to lay down, be number two at Calvary Chapel, and invest in individuals. It was scary, and people laughed at me and said, "You're nuts. That's no way to build a church." And then we got to Rwanda, and I says, "The key is one at a time. I need to make one disciple," and and people come up with all kinds of great ideas, and we'll have this big event and that big event, and. And all that stuff. And the truth is, big events end and you go back home and all you got left is a bill. And you don't have disciples. Nothing has changed. It's like I used to go to these promise maker meetings, you know. Did you get that? <laughs> promise maker meetings. And you'd go home from the promise maker rally and be all gung-ho of who you're going to be. And you come home and you're the same jerk of a husband you were before. The same jerk of a dad. Nothing has changed. We need to be disciples. We need to have somebody work with us. So, Jean Paul, for seven years, I've been asking him, do you have a disciple? And he says, Dave, you keep asking me the same question. Why do you keep asking me the same question? It's because you keep giving me the wrong answer. You keep saying, I got a lot when the truth is you got nobody. You got nothing. Seven years I've been at him. This last year, he says, I got a disciple. I said, Hallelujah. So here he is, Jean Paul's disciple. Here he is, Jean Paul's disciple. There he is. Ah! (laughs) I knew he was there. Jean Paul, uh, part of what we do, we connect with people, and God had us connect with the guy from Ambassador's football. And they have a strategy to plan of reaching the children, age 6 to 12, They're making disciples of the children. Not just getting them saved, but making disciples and training them. John Paul keeps saying he's for the kids, and he keeps saying he wants to reach them. And now finally he says, okay, i got to do it. He went to the USA, and he was trained on a way of reaching and discipling the kids. So he went and trained, and he says, what do I do when I go back to Rwanda? I says, don't put your certificate on the wall and say, look at that, I'm a trained coach. Oh, isn't that great? But do something. So he did. He went to his community with a football and his two kids, and he went out to the football pitch and instantly had like 20 kids. And then after a little bit, he went back on a Monday and he had 115, 200 kids. And then the government and the police and the school people had a meeting, and they says, we want to meet with you. They said, we're watching what you're doing. We see what you do. We want to bring you all our kids. So in Rwanda, the minister of education, the minister of sport, and the head of FIFA... We've met with all of them, and they says, "We'll give you all our kids. We like what you're doing. All our kids, they're yours. Talk about an opportunity. You know what I'm saying? So Jean-Paul, I keep saying, "Who's your disciple? This is his disciple. He's got one. And, and this picture was taken a few weeks ago. He got baptized. But the exciting thing is that this guy actually runs the football program now in his community. I went there to, on the football pitch to see what's happening. There's a hundred kids and it's well organized and it's running and stations going and it's just brilliant. It's teaching them Bible verses and lessons and, and life skills and football. And I says, this is amazing. How is this happening? Jean-Paul wasn't there. And the honk, the horn beeped and he was driving by and I says, Jean-Paul, you're not even here. He says, you should have told me you're coming. I said, what's happening? He says, I have a disciple. I've trained the young man to do it. And it happens even when I'm not here. You see that? How can we leave Calvary Chapel and go? Because people are trained and are doing it. And it's brilliant. So he is, he's got a disciple. Oh, guess what? These other guys are this guy's disciples. And they came to the Lord through this program ready. And they all got baptized at the same time. And they're making disciples. And John Paul says, this is brilliant. This is so crazy, so simple that we just go and we just do it. I say, yeah, it is so simple. So now a few weeks ago, we trained 65 coaches in Rwanda to go into to do the same thing. Starting in 20 communities, the objective is to reach 20,000 kids every year. I have a national program, reach 2 million kids. Why? How does that happen? One person. God's going to decide how many people you're going to influence. The question is, are you faithful with one? Don't tell me about the crowds. Don't tell me about the big events. Don't tell me about the money. Show me the one. And every one of us here can do that. When the gospel was preached throughout Rome, Acts and the New Testament, it did not go by the apostles. It went by people. The apostles went thereafter and found out, oh, where'd all these Christians come from? Normal people. That's how it happened. Next slide. The Friday before we came back to Canada, we were invited to Okiamoka. And uh, Okiamoka was an assembly of seven African nations that the Swedish Pentecostals planted. They planted their church in Rwanda and in each of these churches as well. And so they asked us to attend, and then they asked me to preach there, which I did. And Simeon was there, and he translated into Kenya and Rwanda, and beside him was a guy translating into Swahili. Well, that's always interesting. That's an experience you should all have. <laughs> and the message that I gave there was based on was the message that I'm giving this morning, which will follow in a minute or two. And it's the message God gave me when I was struggling with what difference do we make? Congo is the richest place on the planet. Did you know that? There's more natural resources in Congo than anywhere in the world. Anywhere. And the poorest people on the planet are in Congo. Why is that? Rwanda in 1994 po- boasted 90% Christians, and in 100 days they killed about a million people. Christians killing Christians. How does that happen? We're going to talk about how that happens. That's what we're going to talk about today. How does that happen? Why does that happen? We came to Rwanda and the national leaders there of the, the church, they say, this is amazing what God has put into you. Absolutely incredible. You need to bring this thing throughout the nation of Rwanda. We have a plan. Strategy It's one. I got to have a disciple. Now I got Jean-Paul. I got Amabla, who you've met. He's been here. He said to me a few weeks ago, Dave, I think I'm getting it. God has called you guys here to change a culture. I says, that's true. That's not an easy assignment. I says, no, I know. He says, and I see your plan. I say, what's the plan? One person, he says. I says, ah, you're getting it. Amabla, do you have a disciple, I ask him. He's getting it. Vietor, who's on the national executive. He says, Dave, I think I'm starting to get the plan. I've got to get me a disciple. I says, ah, you're starting to get it. So now that the leaders are starting to get it, there's six other nations waiting for us. You see the assignment? The the head guy from Congo met with me a few months, about a year and a half ago, and he says, we need you in Congo. Can you come to Congo? Because in Rwanda, there's only 3,200 chapels and only 2 million Christians in the church. In Congo, the church is much bigger, and we need you to come and help us. So I says, well, we're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit what to do, and then we'll obey as, as we submit to the people around us. There's lots of work to do. The issue is, are we making one disciple? Here, wherever we go, are we making one? That's the question, and that's the issue. And God will choose if you're supposed to be in Steinbeck, or if you're supposed to be in a different community, or if you're supposed to be planting a church someplace, or if you're supposed to be in Rwanda, or if you're supposed to be touching the nations. But that's how God uses a little, little chapel in the middle of nowhere to impact a region in Africa, one at a time. Now, beware of what you listen to. We're going into the sermon now. See, hearing isn't as easy as it sounds. <laughs> Seeing isn't as easy as it looks, and hearing isn't as easy as it sounds. Can we have the slides, the next slides to go up to the sermon? And then I'm just going to roll with it here, okay? Thank you. So beware of what you listen to. There were many times when truth spoke to me, but I did not listen. It often called to me, but I did not hear it. I was too busy listening to lies. Unfortunately, if you listen to lies long enough, when truth speaks, you cannot hear it or bear it. Many times when truth spoke to me, but I did not listen. There I was, a Christian, father, husband, elder, deacon, preacher, worship leader, jerk of a husband. And truth spoke to me, but I didn't listen. Often it called to me, but I did not hear it. I was too busy listening to lies. Unfortunately, if you listen to lies long enough, when truth speaks, you cannot hear it or bear it. Father, I ask you that you would give us truth today. I pray that you'll show us where we've been deceived. Holy Spirit, only you can do this. I cannot. So help me, help us, Father, to hear you and to see you. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, the Apostle Paul is writing, now the Apostle Paul thought he had it all together, see he was a religious guy, he was very educated, he was part of the highest order of the community at the time, and he knew the answers, he knew that Christianity was not the way to go, that Christ wasn't really who he said he was, and so he went about trying to hunt down and kill anybody who said Jesus was the Messiah, Because he knew the truth in his heart. The truth is he was dead. He was a dead man walking. The spirit of God was not in him. He said it was. He said he was acting on behalf of the spirit of God. When the truth is he was acting contrary to the spirit of God. Just like when Christians kill Christians. They say God told us to do it. That's a lie. You're acting contrary to what Christ told you to do. You're wrong. The apostle Paul was convinced he was right. But then he wasn't. He met the Lord Jesus Christ and changed. And then he says in Ephesians 1.13, In him also, that's in Jesus Christ, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, so he listened and heard, and he believed, we were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. You see what happens when we hear God's word spoken and we believe it, we say, I accept it. That sounds like God's word. And it enters us and something happens. It's like, wham! It's like, it's just explosive and it's, we can't explain it, we don't understand it and it just changes everything. It's like taking a lump of dirt and blowing air into it and now you have a man. It's exactly like that. We're all walking around, but we're all dead men walking because we do not have the life in us that was meant to be in us from creation, it was the spirit that was meant to be in us but as the curse came that went away, we says now we don't have that, now we're trying to live but we're trying to live without that spirit and it doesn't work it doesn't work if we listen to this and it applies to us, something happens to us this is what happens in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 it tells us what happens You see, God's DNA enters in us. When we accept Christ, His DNA enters us and we become a new people. We're no longer Tutsi or Hutu or Twa. We're no longer white or black, African, Canadian, nothing. All that is changed. We're no longer male or female. We're none of that. Now we are simply children of God. And when we understand that, that now God, the creator of the universe, is our Father, Hallelujah! Somebody needs to say something. I know this is a white crowd, but come on, Simeon, are you with me? Ah! Oh well, we'll keep going. One Peter two nine, Peter says this: "You are a chosen race. What race are you from? What what's your lineage? What tribe are you from?" Uh, where's your ancestry? Where where's your family line? You are now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We are now God's possession. And that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. For once you were not a people. Before we weren't a people. We were just dead men walking, but now you are the people of God. You have received mercy but now you have received mercy. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mostly we don't get it. We sit and say, oh, that's neat. (laughs) Okay. Yep. Raw, raw. Hallelujah. But we don't get it. We come to church, and we say, okay, what do I have to do? Oh, I've got to give money, or what do I have to do? Oh, I have to do this, I have to that. We don't get it. The disciples didn't get it, and if you don't get it, you're with the disciples, and we don't get it. So what are we? What are we talking about here? Now, when Jesus was preaching, the the Pharisees were there, and the Pharisees—they were powerful controllers of the law. They knew the law, and they taught the law. Those were the Pharisees, and they would listen whenever Peter, Peter, Jesus was preaching and teaching. They were there listening. The Sadducees were there too. The Sadducees were powerful controllers of business and money and all commerce. They controlled that. And between those two groups, they would decide who would be in government. And so they could make life for you real miserable or real real pleasant, depending on whether or not they liked you. Different times when we're in Rwanda and teaching and preaching, I know lots of times there's people there from government officials that are there taking copious notes and reporting back to everybody what we're saying. That's just the truth. The powers that be want to know what are you telling people? What are you saying? I know that. That's okay. I'm not in the hide. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees were there and together they would choose the government. So you got the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the government and the government was the ruling authority, the authority in society and they were powerful and they knew that the way you got to control the people is that whoever the people listen to, the influencers, that's also the ones we got to get to. And our society is the same way. Who is it that everybody listens to and, and wants to follow and talk? At sports figures or music figures or, or movie entertainment figures. And if we can get them to promote our ideology, then they'll get the masses with them. And that's exactly what happens. And that's where we are today. And so they wanted to use Jesus to promote their own ideologies. And when he said no... I'm here from my father in heaven. I only do what my father tells me. They go, father, who's your father? You don't even know who your father is. You're uh, an illegitimate child. I wanted to use the B word, but it doesn't float in our culture. (laughs) You're an illegitimate child. You don't even know who your dad is. We know who your mom is, but your dad? How did you say he was God the father, like the Holy Spirit came on your mom? Talk about a weird story that you're going to make up. Are you kidding me? You're not who you say you are. And so nobody believed him, or m- most people didn't believe him. The disciples, it was just chaos. So they couldn't control Jesus, so they envied him. They envied the influence they had. They envied the power they ha- that he had. And so because they couldn't control him, he says, well, then we've got to kill him. Matthew twenty-seven eighteen. They tried to kill him. They conspired to kill him because they envied him. And that's where we are today. If we can't control people, we'll kill him. Or we'll just treat them as though they're dead. You're dead to me. If I can't control you, manipulate you, use you for my good, for my benefit, then you're dead to me. Same place we always been. Now, let's continue. Beware of what you listen to. We need to tune our ears into what is happening. In Mark chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus is saying, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care of what you listen to by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given to you. Besides, for whatever... Whoever has, more will be given. So here Jesus is saying, be careful of what you're listening to. You don't think it matters what you listen to? It matters. In Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When we declare Jesus is Lord, then we begin to have wisdom. We begin to have understanding. The more we focus on Christ and on His Word, the greater wisdom and understanding we will have. And we will grow in wisdom and grow in understanding. Or we can reject it in the Luke 8 verse 17. Psalms 14 verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abdominal deeds. There is no one who does good. So here scripture tells us that it's the fool who says there is no God. And if we reject God completely, Luke 8 verse 17, Jesus says, nothing that is hidden will be will not become evident, nor anything secret will not be known, and come to the light. So take care how you listen. Before he said take care of what you listen to, here Jesus says take care of how you listen. For whoever has, more will be given. And even what he thinks he has, he will lose. So sometimes I've met people that are very, very brilliant, intelligent, and wise, and men of God, growing and, and doing great things. Then all of a sudden they decide that they want to live life differently and, and they come back and they say, I've, I've realized now there, there is no God and I reject him completely. And people that have, can appear to have been wise and intelligent all of a sudden appear to be not so wise and not so intelligent. And it's a sad thing. But that's just what happens. We need to love him and we need to pray for him. So what is it that we listen to? Beware of what you listen to. And Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 6, he says, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Leaven. So the disciples says, Jesus is talking about leaven. He's talking about the legal rules. When you prepare food, watch out that you don't mix your pots and pans. Because they had a set of rules about which pots and pans you needed to use. So the disciples thought Jesus was talking about pots and pans. Or about certain rules. we got to make sure we don't see on the Sabbath you couldn't walk too far because then it was sin. You can walk so far but not further. So they figured out ways of connecting so they could obey the law. And It was just all convoluted. It was all about legalism, legalism, legalism. And so the disciples thought Jesus was giving them new rules, new understanding on the fine points of the law. They didn't realize he wasn't talking about food. They just thought he was talking about food because he was talking about food. Get it? So in Matthew chapter 16 verse 11 he says, How is it then that you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread? You think I'm talking to you about bread because I'm talking about leaven, I'm talking about bread. But I'm not talking about bread. But they did not get... But he says, then they understood that he did not say beware of the leaven of the bread, but beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So that's the issue. Is what is the teaching that we're listening to? And our teaching informs us and forms our worldview and tells us how to treat people in what we do. It's the teaching. Now, a little goes a long way. If you don't believe that, a little bit goes a long way. I teach, Dave, a little bit of teaching. What's the big deal? It's nothing. You know, leaven is an interesting thing. And, and I told you that God kind of gave me this teaching as I was in the middle of being frustrated and afraid with the meaning of what we're doing. Why are we doing what we're doing, and, and what point is it? And God instructed me to look up the word leaven and do some research. You know what leaven is? Leaven is what comes after ten. Are you with me? Are you with me? <laughs> uh, Tim, I'm sorry about that. Okay, see. My son does stand-up comedy. And, and you can use that as your own. You don't, you, know, <laughs> you don't even have to give me credit for it. You know, you can just say, tell the story and you'll be okay. This is a loaf of bread that I baked. Doesn't that look lovely? And uh, you see that? Kind of looks a little bit like cement, doesn't it? There's no leaven in this bread. No yeast. It's very, very heavy. And if you add enough leaven, a quarter teaspoon, that's the size of my pinky nail. If you put that into that, you get something quite different. And it even sounds different when you cut it. Does that look good? It is good. A pinky of leaven. And God showed me, Dave, you guys are the leaven. I put my leaven into you. A little bit. And I stuck you in here. In Rwanda. Just be who you are. Just be who you are. When Amabla says God has called you to change a culture, what do you call it when you take a piece of dough that is leavened, and you add it to a bunch of dough that's not leavened, and you just put it in there and let it sit for a day or so, all that bread becomes leavened. That's called a culture. A culture of dough. It's the leaven, the Holy Spirit of God. It's God's word in us and through us. A little bit does a lot. If you don't think a little bit matters, then just imagine for a minute you have a twenty five year old daughter and she comes on, she who's not married, twenty five year old not married daughter, and she comes home and says, Mom, Dad, I gotta talk to you, I got a little problem. Oh, what's the problem? Well it's just small, it's not really a big deal, it's it's only little little. Oh, what is it? So I'm a little bit pregnant. Jake, is that a little problem? Oh, that's a big problem. Oh, just a little bit. If you believe that what we listen to doesn't really matter, that's no big deal, a little bit of level 11 doesn't make a difference, then you would believe being a little bit pregnant is no big deal. It is a big deal. Leaven of the bread. Jesus is talking about leaven. Be careful what you listen to. He's talking about teaching. It's the teaching of the Pharisees. In Luke 12 verse 1, the last part, it says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So what was Jesus? Like, he he did not read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I can tell you that right out. Because beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He's telling him that what the Pharisees are teaching him is hypocritical. They said one thing and did another. Now, what exactly does it mean? In Matthew 15, 7, he says, You hypocrites! Rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you. The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. It's like we come to Calvary Chapel. We say, We're Christians. We're family. We're together. We're all one. We're not. some are pretending. It's that way all the time, everywhere. You know the truth. God knows the truth. Everything that is hidden will be revealed. Not right now, but it will be. But he says here, in vain they worship me teaching the doctrines of, teaching as doctrine the precepts of men. When you teach as church doctrine, precepts of men, things go wonky, really wonky. So, I, I, I at six years old, I became a Christian, wonderful Christian church, there I was, I was being taught and trained and, on all things Christian. And my brother and I played instruments, I played the guitar, my brother played the saxophone, and it was great. And so we played in church, and as we played in church, it was great, the, you know, people were getting with it, and... Music was good. And then the elders called us in for a meeting and they said, we have a problem. There's a demonic spirit that you release when you play your instruments in church. Hmm? Well, yes, you see, in the rhythm, it's a rock and roll rhythm and, and it's demonic. And and uh, so we're going to ask you not to play anymore because you make a sin. Because when you play, we want to dance. And that sin... So, therefore, you can't play anymore so that we won't sin. I'm telling you, when we teach as doctrine the precepts of man, what happens? My brother left the church. He says, I'm done with you guys. No, thank you. And never, never, never came back. How many people have done that, huh? Because of some garbage that we've been told and taught that is the gospel when it's not. Oh what, I says what about the psalms where they're dancing and playing instruments and singing and all this, and, and then I was told that I went to a different church and, and where I'm discipled now and trained, and this is great and wonderful, and and I read about the Holy Spirit moving in us in power, and I'm going I'm impotent and powerless as a Christian. Why am I impotent and powerless? And I think I need the power. I need the Holy Spirit. That's what I need. And as I do this, I'm discovering things like praying, praying in tongues, speaking in tongues. and So I talk to people about that. And they say, well, praying in tongues, speaking in tongues is a sign that you have demons. Teaching the precepts of man as though they're doctrine. Now I'm told that that's demonic. I said, what about in Scripture where this is happening and, and that is going on? What about that? Now those are two examples that are horrible. What do you believe? Hmm? What do you believe is doctrine or absolute truth that is absolutely not? We all have it. We all have it. I gave you examples from my own life. Those people still love the Lord. I believe most of them will be in heaven with us there. But boy, did they get it wrong a lot of those points. And my job, when I meet with them, and I still do the odd time, is not to beat them up or argue about that. Love them, pray for them, be together, enjoy life together. Beware of what you listen to, because it makes a difference. Then he talks about the, the teaching of the Sadducees. See, the teaching of the Pharisees was, was the fundamentalists, the people who know the Bible, who are the fundamentalists. Now he's saying, beware of the... Teaching of the Sadducees in Mark 12:18, he says, the Sadducees say there's no resurrection. These are the people who believe that, well, in the end, it doesn't matter. We'll all be in a good, happy place, and, and that'll be great. That that's, that's just wonderful. Live how you want to live, be who you want to be, it doesn't matter. And that was the Sadducees. They believed that. They were there when Jesus was there, and they taught that, and Jesus says, beware of that. It's going to get you in trouble. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 16, 19 rather, Paul addresses them specifically. He says if this is true, if this is true, if there is no resurrection after, if this life is about this life, then we die and then we're finished. If that's really true, then we are to be pitied more than anybody else. What miserable lot we are, that we would give our lives to try and do this thing together, to try and go to Africa and what miserable socks we are to waste our life doing that if nothing matters, if there's nothing. Beware. Then he has, he has another beware of. Beware of the teaching of the, beware of the leaven of Herod. Now I hadn't seen that before, but in Mark 8.15 it says he was giving them orders to say to them, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Ooh, what's the leaven of Herod? Well, the leaven of Herod, first of all, is that we put our hope and trust in things of the world and governments. Now, that's the answer. So we got churches and whole churches that will stand up in the pulpit and says, you need to vote for the fill in blank here because that's what Christians do. This is a Christian political party. This is a Christian candidate. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The leaven of Herod. You see, the rule of government is this. Number one, you got to get power. Because we're convinced that our party or me or I, whoever it is, we're going to change things for the good. We're going to do things right. So we say we got to vote for this guy. That's the guy we got to vote for. That's rule number one, get power. Rule number two, when you have power, you got to stay in power. Do whatever you got to do. Say whatever you got to say to stay in power. Because after all, you're going to do good things for the people. Rule number three, get more power. If you have more power, more money, more influence, then you'll do more good things. Because after all, you're doing the right things and the good things. And you're the good guy. By whatever means necessary. Say whatever you need to say to get power, to keep in power, to be in power. The more money you have, the better things will be. Luke 13, 31. The, the Pharisees were approached, Jesus saying, Go away from here and leave, because Herod wants to kill you. What does Jesus say? He says, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will reach my goal. Jesus says, tell that fox. You know, Jesus is so subtle in what he says. Here's Herod. He's the king, the ruler, Mr. Majestic. What do you call him? A fox. What's a fox? It's a little scavenger, like a dog. Lives in a cave. Doesn't even kill big animals. Are you afraid of a fox? You see a fox walking along? Oh, there's a fox in the ditch. I'm going to go take a picture. Are you scared to get out and take a picture of the fox? No, you're not. Oh, there's a bear. Oh, I'm not getting out. There's a lion. I'm staying where I am. Fox. Jesus says, tell that fox, that little wiener, that loser, who goes and steals eggs from nests, that's how he survives, just go tell him that he's nothing. That's what he says by that word, tell that fox. You're nobody. (laughs) Beware of the leaven of Herod. Don't listen, don't try and think you're going to bring God's kingdom by using government or world rules or world systems. It's not going to happen. Because ultimately the government's clash with the kingdom of heaven. I am um, my passport, I don't function here based on my Canadian passport. I've been issued a passport. It's been issued from heaven. God the Father initiated the passport. And it's been signed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, This is he's my son. he's my brother. The Father calls Him Son. And it's been sealed. It's got that stamp on it. You know that beautiful sound when you enter a new country? And it goes, boom, you're accepted. Ah, It's got the seal of the Holy Spirit on it. It says, boom. It's a beautiful sound, isn't it? Especially when there's guys with AK-47s all around. It's a beautiful sound. Been there, done that. That's how we are. So there's a leaven. There's a fourth leaven. And Jesus talks about it. He says, he spoke a parable to them, Matthew thirteen thirty three. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a uh, woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. The leaven from heaven. Don't forget that. It kind of rhymes, you know. Do you notice that? The leaven from heaven. See, the dangerous thing is when you accept Jesus Christ and we actually believe Him, then everything, everything changes. Everything. You can't be a little bit pregnant. You can't. That's the beautiful thing. So if you want more of what that leaven is, well, then there's a way of doing it. Mark, pardon me, Psalms 119, 11 says, Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. What happens if I take this dough, while it's still dough, if I put a little bit of this in it while it's dough that's leavened, and I put them together, I treasure it, I try to hide that dough in this dough, it'll all become leavened. I'll get a beautiful loaf of sourdough bread. It's brilliant. These words have a treasure in my heart that I may not sin against you. Be careful what you listen to. 2 Timothy 1.14 Paul says, Guard through the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which was been entrusted to you. What was the treasure entrusted to you? Remember back in Ephesians. Jesus Christ in us. Jesus Christ in us. The Spirit in us is better than Jesus beside us. Ezra 7.10 says, Ezra has set his heart to study the law, to practice it, and to teach it. That's who we need to be. We study the law, we practice it, and we teach it. Then finally, Acts 17, verse 11. Now these, the Pharisees, the Bereans, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness and examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed. You know what happens when we say we're Christians, we become Christians, but we don't read the word, we don't treasure the word, and we don't allow the Holy Spirit to grow in us, we are impotent, anemic Christians. That's who we are. Most of my life I've been that, impotent and anemic, struggling with sin day in and day out. Why can't I get free? What is going on? Impotent. Not being able to produce life. Why am I so nasty to my wife and my kids? What's going on? I thought I was a Christian, beating myself up, impotent and anemic. And I declared there, in front of seven churches in Africa, this church is impotent and anemic. And has taught the precepts of man as doctrine. That is why you can have the wealthiest nation on the planet have the poorest people on the planet. Because the white Judas makes a deal with the black Judas and the poor you always have with you. That is why in Rwanda you can have almost a million people killed in a hundred days when you're all called Christian. Because you're not filled with the Spirit. You're, You're impotent and anemic. And that is why us white people in Canada can listen to it on the news and not do anything about it and not care. Because we too are impotent and anemic. And it's time we stop it. We submit to the Lord. We make disciples. One at a time. Who do I submit my life to? Ron McLean. Ron, how are you doing? Oh, Ron, I feel I want to sin. What are you saying, Dave? I really want to sin. What are you talking about? Well, I can tell. These things that I'm feeling and going through and circumstances in life, I just want to do some sinning here. I don't want to call Ron with that conversation because I'm a missionary. I'm a pastor. I'm a missionary that speaks in front of many countries. Why would I call Ron? It's humiliating. It's embarrassing. But it's true. I don't want to sin. Ron, will you help me? We pray together. Okay, we move on. I share my life Walk openly and freely. And invite other people to walk with me. What Lynn and I do, we do together. In Rwanda, Lynn has met with Christine one on one for three, four years. And then she went to prison for embezzlement. And uh, you kind of wonder where the discipling thing was at, you know? Come on, eh? And there's people who phoned us and blamed us for that. It's your fault. You're training them. And now she meets with Or Lee, who's the new finance person. It's a completely different relationship because she's open and honest and vulnerable and it's a beautiful thing. So this isn't about a guy doing it or me doing it. It's about each of us as people doing it. What are we listening to? Do we listen to God's word? To God's Spirit. Do you tell people? You say, Ah, oh, yeah, we're we're together. We're with it. We're all together. Here I am. I, am with it. If you have a disciple, Jean Paul kept telling me he had a disciple. So I'd like to meet him. I'd like to ask him how you're doing, as his spiritual father. And every year he had to say, well, I don't have anybody. Now he does. I've met him. Asked him for his story. It's amazing. One at a time. Being a disciple. Making disciple. Sons and daughters of God. And the family of God. It's amazing, amazing. Father, I I thank you for your love and mercy and your grace to us. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. I thank you for this family. Father, I thank you that you are our redeemer. That you... You don't just save us to have us be born again and leave us lying there as these dirty little slimy kids. But you train us and teach us. Father, help me to continue to grow in you. Help me, Father. and Lord, whatever it was this morning that was not from you, I ask you to blot it from people's minds, have it vanish. Poof, gone. And words that are from you, Lord, may they settle in our hearts as leaven. And may they produce life for your glory. Amen.